listening to WMNF Tampa, WMNF 88.5 FM. Welcome to the afternoon. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy everything. Let's get going. We're going to be talking today about Ebor Speaks. I'm so excited. Stay tuned, y'all. i 
Well, dear listeners, welcome to Christmas Eve Eve. Welcome to Friday afternoon. My name is Joellen Chilke. I am the hostess who loves you absolutely the mostest, wishing you the best this holiday season. Today on Art in Your Ear, we have a great show. Paul Wilburn and Matt Cowley are coming in to talk about Ebor Speaks, this amazing project that the city of Tampa has them doing in Ebor, uh, where you can listen to the past. It's just really amazing and read and see, it's just wonderful. So I hope you will stick with us and take notes for all your visitors coming to town. Hey, I want to let you know that support for WMNF comes from listeners like you. And the Billheimer Capital Theater is presenting The Weight Band. Featuring founding members of the band and Levon Helm Band, The Weight Band is keeping the music alive that helped define an era. Performing Wednesday, February 22nd, RuthEckerdHall.com has ticket information. Seems to hear words of good cheer from everywhere, filling the air. That is The Big Moon with Carol of the Bells. What I did not know until putting the show together, that it is, uh, I think, the number one most recorded version of Christmas things, mostly because of the instrumentals. 
Dropping facts, dropping facts here at WMNF. I am thrilled to have in the studio, returning to the studio, Matt Cowley and Paul Wilborn, who are here for Ebor Speaks, uh, along with Sheila Cowley, all familiar names, I hope, to WMNF people. Uh, they have put together an amazing project. So I want to start off uh, introducing everybody so the listeners, dear listener, you can discern the voices. Matt Cowley, what was your uh, sort of area for Ebor Speaks? I was the sound designer, essentially. The, yeah. the sound designer. Is, are sound design and Foley two different things? Uh, two related things. Foley two. is kind of manual sound effects that you um, do manually, I guess. Right? <laughs> so, and I hope that, because uh, we want to talk a little bit about Paul's book at the end, but I hope that we can talk a little bit about radio theater sure. at the end, too. Yeah. And then, Paul, what was your part of this whole shindig? Uh, I helped pick, uh, we used a lot of authors who had written about Ebor and then had actors record their voices. So uh, working with Sheila and Matt, I uh, we pulled a lot of the great writing from Ebor, from Ferdy Pacheco and Jack Espinosa, Gary Mormino, a lot of folks who'd written about it, and those things are available uh, for audio. This is really an audio project, uh, which is why we thought it would be perfect for our year. <laughs> well, that's why, and we have some clips that we want to play for it, but I first kind of want to... Explain it. So I did go to uh, Centennial Park. Oh, good. And walk around a little bit. Um, and I, I, know, I was running a little late today. Um, so uh, and so I have to say to walk and hear, like all of a sudden you hear all of a sudden you hear voices and you're like, okay, I'm an Ebor. That could happen anywhere. But then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Um, and so I heard a clip that I'm going to play a little bit of, which was set, I think, in the 1890s or so. Uh, and it was so strange to sort of be standing in a place and featuring something that might have occurred 130 years before, but it was sort of the same type thing. So I kind of want to know where you guys got started on doing this audio project, like how how you knew what you wanted it to be, Paul. Well, first, I just, I got to say, this came to us from the City of Tampa Public Arts program. And those, it's, I don't know if everybody knows this, but the City of Tampa Public Arts program is one of the most respected in it's the country. Great. It's great. They really, really do amazing stuff. And they kind of brought this idea to us. Uh, they had advertised it once and didn't get a response that they were really looking for. I had written my book on Ybor City, Cigar City, about the 80s. And so they reached out to me and said, would you be interested? Do you know anybody who'd be good for this? And that was kind of the genesis of it. And then I said, you just got to get Matt and Sheila. Cause, and they took it and ran with it from there. Mm. Matt, when you and Sheila started working on it, did you know what you wanted to do or what was that process? Uh, not at all. Sheila read about <laughs> 137 books on Ybor City, um, roughly. And, uh, <laughs> at she least. Did, yeah, she did a ton of research and with Paul's help found really great resources. And there are some really great books out there, uh, which we'll talk about and. um she helped kind of distill out of those books a lot of descriptions of what the sounds were like, what life was like, um, what kinds of cultures and languages were there in the world uh, of Ybor at the time. And um, so from there, we kind of just it kind of found a place from within all that research. Mostly. Did you need to go to like to walk around Ybor to do this? Or since it was the past, that would have been confliction? How did that work out? Uh, not so much. We, I mean, well, obviously, we staked out um, or scoped out. We were in a car for hours. Uh, we scoped out uh, Centennial Park, and and uh, but Ebor now is a lot different than the Ebor of the times we were representing. Um, mm -hmm. 
So, we'll... you know, one of the things, and now I'm 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 going to apologize because I don't remember exactly which uh, which one it was, but I don't know if I imagined this or if you did it, but it was one of the uh, scenes where people were talking, and I realized oh, there's a shift in the sound. I wonder if that means that they went into a building or something, like that they shifted Mm -hmm. the place that they were, even though the conversation was continuing. And so to me, that's like, that's the the intricacies of sound design. Like when you have, um, and I don't think people would notice in a cognitive way, but since I knew I was interviewing you, I was trying to notice things. But but so how is a how is a sound designer, do you know that you have what you want? Um, it's kind of like designing a film, uh, but without the film part, <laughs> so it makes it easy right. and clear for everybody. Without the visual, yes. right. Yeah. No, it's, Did um, you have a film in your head? Kind of a little bit. Yeah. You kind of have to know where people are, where they're going, what's around them at the time and, um, and w- how the things that are around them are moving. And, um, from that, you kind of just know, okay, they're stepping into a a trolley car right now. So mm-hmm. the sound of them needs to change a little bit. Right. It's going to be more muted. The outside's yeah. more muted. And, and like you say, it's it's things that you don't notice if they're done right, but if they're done wrong, say, wait a minute, that's not right. Right. So, well, that's what I, I uh, on something from years and years ago, I think it must have been radio theater or something else. I remember there was a shift in sound. You said, oh yeah, that's because they went from wood to marble. Like I just remember you. Right. And I was just like, that's, so when you guys were, you and Sheila were working on this. So there are scenes, and I want to play the intro in a minute, where there's dialogue and it's, you know, there, there's scenarios and there's scenes, but there's others that it's just soundscapes. Uh, were the soundscapes just you, or did you and Sheila have to work together on understanding what the soundscapes were going to be and, and fitting in within the whole project? Uh, she definitely helped me understand uh, what we wanted from the soundscapes. Um, and a lot of the voices, well, all of the voices that are in the soundscapes came from um, recordings that we made either as part of the audio vignettes that she scripted or um, as just as part of that process because we knew we'd want them in the soundscapes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Is it fun? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just seems really fun listening. So this is from, from your flash drive, from your thumb drive, uh, the intro. And uh, dear listener, if you want, if you have any questions or you want to get in touch, uh, obviously I'm not answering the phone, you can email dj at wmnf.org or send us a text at 813-433-0885 and I'll be checking those if I can. Uh, so right now, this is an intro to Ebor Speaks, uh, done by Matt Cowley and Sheila Cowley. Oops. Oh, we look at that. the big wide world and met in Ebor City. So that that was just a little tiny taste of it. Uh, you're putting together this idea. It starts off with this idea, or maybe it, it started off with me with this idea of a woman who is an immigrant from Cuba gets on a streetcar in, in the 1890s. And all of a sudden, there's all this information packed into that conversation. Um, y- women could work in the cigar factories, which was probably unusual for anywhere else. Uh, there was a revolutionary spirit in the air. I'm so curious how how everybody sort of wanted to capture the decades that you were representing and then make sure that that each decade sounded differently. Right, you guys talk, I'm going to pull up the 1920s because it sounds different, you know. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about 
what was going on in Ebor, and then for you as kind of artists, what was going on? What was interesting, I think, is that uh, is that you know the things changed, and how do you define what a decade is and what an era is? But but you know, cars came along, and streetcars, and and different vendors, and so all of those sounds sort of played in. And one thing that I w- was really impressed with, I connected Matt and Sheila with La Lucha, the great oh, jazz trio in, so good. in uh, St. Pete. And they wrote uh, Paso Doble and changed it for each decade and just a little bit. So it was kind of in the style you might have heard music done in the 1890s, the teens, the 20s, the 30s, and just brilliant. And that really, that kind of stuff where you work with other local artists, what I think they did so well was there's probably 30 or 40 different local performers, artists, and musicians Mm -hmm. involved in this thing in some form or another. The voices, the songs, the music. uh, And Sheila wrote great scripts. So uh, I think it's so much more than just one type of thing, which I'm really impressed with, uh, that it's, it's diverse. There's a lot of talent and it's local. When, and that's what, I mean, when I was, when you first, Contact me about this, and I was looking it up, and um, and I was looking to see all the different talents associated with it. Uh, and it obviously, you guys have lived in Tampa longer, you know, before you ever moved to St. Pete. But I thought this is such a St. Pete thing because St. Pete always kind of brings all their friends along, you know. <laughs> and uh, and you have a ton of people working on this. And when I when I looked at, it, I'm like, oh well, that's really kind of the best person in that area. Like it wasn't just like, oh, they're a friend. But I'm like, oh, how it's a wonderful uh, look at all the talent in the area. So bonus points for that. <laughs> right now, this is the 1920s soundscape. So, Matt, will you talk a little bit about putting that together? Because you've got horses, but you also have some cars or streetcar mm-hmm. sound. What was your, like, when you were, do you map them out in some way before before recording it? How do you, how do, you do this? <laughs> sure. So, like I said, a lot of the research, or all the research came from uh, my lovely wife, Sheila. Uh, so, I knew at that time in the 20s, it was mostly horses, but cars were starting to come in. They had the trolley car, where it was really early. Um, surprisingly, and uh, the, a lot of the a lot of the impulse behind this project as a whole is to celebrate the um, uh, cultural diversity and the uh, the immigration history of Ebor City. It was really a center for immigration for many many countries. Um, there were lots of languages going on, lots of cultures, all in one kind of big melting pot. Melting pot. Um, so I knew I wanted to represent all of those kinds of things, um, and then it was just kind of um, building it up piece by piece, um, mm-hmm. you know, is kind of like writing a song a little bit. Do you have to mark something to know, you know, okay, this is a, this is a sound that I can use several times here, or this is something like it's so unique, I really can only use it once, or, you know, is there, is that part of the system, is knowing yeah. what, you know, this is a one-timer, this is a three-timer, this is as much as I want. Is there, yeah. is there a technical t- name for that, or am uh, I just making this up? Yeah, technically that's <laughs> called fiddling around, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fiddling rather than messing, I see. Yeah, um, and just, and that's what I do, you brought up the diversity. I have somewhere in my house a postcard that was sent to... Uh, my family when they lived in, at the time it was Germany and since then it's been Romania and Hungary 
uh, from Ybor City, mm-hmm. written in uh, very old German. Nice. And that was sent uh, at the turn of the century. You know, so here were, here were some, I guess, the family members that had emigrated mm-hmm. to the U.S. that emigrated to, to where it was going to be warm. And that's what they say right. in the card. We, 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 it's warm here. It's nice. We're staying. But um, so there were these... German slash Hungarian slash Romanians, whatever they were. There were the Italians, there were the Cuban people, also, but Spanish people. Mm-hmm. Um, a huge Jewish population. Jewish, okay. Yep. And uh, I think Sheila really captured that diversity. I mean, there's, how many languages, there were a lot of different languages used right. in this, and that was some of the hardest research was finding folks who could speak in all the different languages. It wasn't just Spanish mm-hmm. and uh, Italian. But why was it, and, and will people get from this uh, and then from the reading and the source material, why was Ybor City? Why were there all these different people? Well, I there? think uh, my family came uh, from the call of Tampa. They came to Tampa in 1890s from uh, from Sicily. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one of Gary Mormino's great lines that I've used many times is someone wrote a letter back to Sicily to their family and said, and they were very poor at the time, and Sicily was really impoverished. And they said, come to Tampa. We drink coffee from big pots. <laughs> There's lots of coffee. I mean, it just, and, right. and a whole g- generation got on a boat in Palermo and found their right. way here through New Orleans or through Ellis Island. And the lure, really, it was jobs. Right. I mean, what moves people is economic opportunity. And uh, the factories were hiring. They were hiring men and women. Uh, all those people needed stores and dry goods and clothing and doctors and nurses. And mm-hmm. so it was a very functioning, interesting community driven by the fact that there was this industry that had moved from Cuba to Key West and was finally in Tampa. And to me, as a native of Tampa, it's what made us much more interesting than Orlando or Miami. I, I want to add one more mm-hmm. thing that just knocked me over the other day. My friend Dick Lobo grew up in Ybor City, and his first job was in Miami in the 50s as a TV station reporter. They said, will you go to Cuba and talk to this guy, Castro? And he said, why me? You're the only guy in Miami who speaks Spanish. <laughs> it, so, you know, immigration right. has changed our state right. a lot. And, and Tampa was really the hub between Cuba and Europe, and Spain. So it was a fascinating history. You know, you just touched on something. And dear listener, I'm speaking, that was Paul Wilburn. Also, Matt Cowley is here to talk about Ybor Speaks. The city of Tampa has uh, put this great program in Ybor City. And that's what, when I was walking last night, I was thinking, like, what would have Tampa been like without Ybor? Like, it would not have... Who knows? We may not be here. Like, the the uh, the difference of having a place like Ybor... Um, I don't know. Did that come out in the research, sort of the impact that beyond the, you know, few square miles? I mean, how big is Ebor? It's just a couple square miles, isn't it? But the it has such an outsized impact as as to it. Did that show up in research as to sort of ways that it influenced the rest of the town? I think Tampa's history is just so in, intertwined with Ebor's history. And it was definitely two towns. I mean, there was what... and. They were very clear about it, even my relatives. They talked about White Tampa, which was downtown, and Ebor, which was a whole conglomerate gumbo of all these. Mm-hmm. And, and White Tampa looked down on Ebor, but they needed the economic engine of it. So it was not always a pleasant uh, marriage, uh, but 
there was also a feeling that as long as things stayed in Ebor and we <laughs> had our world over here, it was okay. Uh, so, you know, it was a turbulent history. There was a lot of revolutionary thoughts. There were a lot of communist ideas coming along because it was that period of time. And uh, Jose Marti came. It was just, and the rest of Tampa didn't necessarily want to be part of that. But Ebor is now so intertwined in the history and there's so much intermarriage and so many people have moved into Tampa is just that to me, it's what made this town worth being a reporter and worth living in. Matt, when did you first start going to Ebor? Uh, I grew up in Tampa, so I was going there in the 80s. I think really the first time I spent much time there was uh, playing in some shows at the Playmakers. I was, <laughs> I was in the band. Right. Yeah. And that seems, I mean, to me, I'm, I came down to college and in the 80s, in the 80s and, and uh Discovered my sister and I discovered Ebor going to uh, going to these. Uh, I think David Audette's shows were originally on Dale Mabry, but then there were some kind of underground shows in Ebor, and we're like, oh! And then we found uh, restaurants that were open until four o'clock in the morning. You could drink these little weird cups of coffee, and they were you would never go to sleep. And but Ebor also became in the eighties. I, I know it's other stuff, but in the 80s, that's where the clubs were. That's where the bands were. That's where the arts were. That's where it was affordable to be an artist, to perform, play, write, anything like that. I want to play a little piece uh, that you have from the 80s. There we go. Uh, so this is the 80s soundscape that I'm going to have on uh, in the background. When you were thinking about the 80s, what was <laughs> what was going through your head when you wanted to represent the 80s? Well, that was a time of kind of big parties uh, in Ebor, Guabaween, and um, tropical heat wave, artists and riders ball, <laughs> artists and riders ball, things tropical that, heat wave, yeah, tropical, <laughs> heat, tropical wave. heat wave, which yeah. grew out of a party that we threw uh, called Hot Night in Havana. Oh my God! And we we had thrown all these parties for about seven or eight years, and finally said we can't do another one. And thank God M and F stepped forward and took Tropical Heat Wave. Made its most mm-hmm. incredible party for so long, and so, coming back, yeah, and in twenty twenty three, coming back, Ebor was empty. We could do anything we wanted. It was a magical time, sort of like being one of the young immigrants. You know, mm-hmm. eighty years before, you were making it up as you went along. Cultural immigrants, yeah. <laughs> so when you were when so when you were first going there, was any of that? So once you started to move into the timescape when you lived through, did that change the way how, you know, did that change anything in putting together the, the sound for things? Yeah, absolutely. And part of it was like remembering uh, being there at that time a little bit. Um, I was younger then uh, than I will be tomorrow. Um, and, uh, <laughs> tomorrow? <laughs> Is it your birthday? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, and part of it was also wanting to show the difference between that time and the other times. Uh, in Ebor's history, you know, the earlier um, 1890s and the 1920s, there's a lot of different languages going on. And in the um, 1980s soundscape, it's it's all English. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's definitely, uh, there's one of those festivals in the air, so you can hear the different bands and street performers and all that stuff. <laughs> so, and that was, uh, in doing it, uh, Paul, you were pulling together things that were written about Ebor, uh, and I think about a friend of mine, Laura. Her, you know, her great grandfather. I think she's also multi generational Tampa. Her, um, her ancestors. I can't remember which one owned a candy store in downtown Tampa, uh, and you know. So again, you're talking about these two different lives, but those 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 lines disappeared over the years. So in the 1960s stuff, I think you hear more black voices, or it sounds like more black music 
that is in some of this stuff or, you know, just it's sort of a different vibe. And then it moves to the 80s to have this other vibe. Were there things that uh, did not get in that you're like, oh, I just don't have room for this. I wish I could put this in. Or <laughs> Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And Sheila had to really um, condense an enormous amount of information into short scripted dialogues, um, which I think um, try to have their own kind of uh, moments as a moment between two people, but also convey what's going on in the world. So there's a lot of detail about Ebor that it was just too much to get into a script. Um, and we had to be, these are um, short-ish soundscapes, mm-hmm. so we had to be kind of selective about um, what could get in there. So, right, and, I would think so. <laughs> yeah, and with the books, I mean, there's so many books, and there are hundreds and hundreds of pages, yeah. and trying to find those little nuggets that would work in this situation right. and didn't have overwhelm the whole project because you could have gone on for for hours and hours with stuff written about Ebor. So. Well, that's what, because I wanted to, um, you know, I, I know uh, when I first came to Florida, my parents were friends with some people, and they said, if you ever have a problem, I want you to call Mr. Traficante. <laughs> <laughs> and I had no idea who Mr. Traficante was. He was just the guy I was supposed to call if there was a problem, and I had a problem, and I called Mr. Traficante, and his friends came and, you know, helped me out. Oh, that's funny. I know. And then, you know, I mean, I was a kid. I didn't know. I was 17. And then later found out more about the different things. So there was this, you know, there was definitely this... Uh, it's like criminal element. It was Tampa. That was part of it. Yeah, you, you know, the nice thing was, and I'm I'm kind of doing some research into that right now uh, for a new project I'm doing. But there was a code of the West, which yeah, okay, we killed that guy, but we didn't kill his wife, we didn't kill his kids. It's it was sort of you right. Know, there right. were some rules. We respected him. But doggone it, we right. got respect. If we but, don't like you, they're all gone, including the dog. A lot of what drove the crime in Tampa is now called the Florida Lottery. It was called Bolita then. Ah, right. People were killed over it. But now it's like this legal thing. So you know, and alcohol, <laughs> bootlegging was a big thing too. So a lot of people died because of gambling and bootlegging, all of which are legal now. So. Oh my god, <laughs> they should have changed it. Um, so there was, and and how did you? Because I heard a few things, uh, but I wasn't sure. How did you represent crime in your um, soundscapes? We do have a piece from Scott Dietschy, who wrote uh, Cigar City Mafia. No, I was trying to find it on the... We got a short uh, bit from him. Uh, you know, what What we didn't want to do and what I really think uh, was important is so many people think of that as, you know, with the Godfather movies and things like that, as something that was bigger than perhaps it was. It was part of life in Ebor, but for the vast majority of folks, they were living their lives and, and uh, you know, trying to have families and do all that right. stuff. And, uh, and like, as I said, it was gambling and booze mm-hmm. that were driving the crime, and both those things are now legal. And so, it, you know, some of it was self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, but my great-grandparents were dairy farmers, and they had to sell, they would say, we had to sell our milk to the white processor. And they would try to cheat them. And the mafia was their muscle to say, don't mess with this dairy because, you know, that we look out for them. Right. So it was a weird time of immigrants had no uh, social standing. They had, didn't have, the law wasn't necessarily on their side. Right. They needed this strange, you know, creation. Uh, the mafia wasn't just criminal. I mean, there were... 
So it was interesting. <laughs> right. Well, that's why, I mean, I think that's, you have the, the social clubs, different groups had their social clubs. Uh, but as we've seen and found out through Paul Guzzo and other people's reporting, you know, that uh, certainly the black people in Tampa had, you know, they, there was the black communities had their own internal structure, but certainly they got no help from the white community. Uh, and the immigrants, you know, I mean, it was just not the white community was there to preserve their strength and everyone else in their view, I think, were there to serve them in preserving their strength. Uh, though I've got the World War II soundscape on now. This one, I like them all. I, I could just play so all fun. of it. So when you guys were designing this and thinking about this, because um, there's a component where people can read some of the, the source material for it. Can they not? They access to the source material. Was there... Um, is it necessary for people to go uh, chronologically through it? Are there other themes that people can sort of follow without it being from like 1890s, 1820s, 1840s, you know, 1940s? Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you want people to experience this? I mean, because you can be online or, or in place. Sure. Um, you definitely get a certain perspective if you listen in order because you can see the arc of Ebor's um, story as its own kind of character. Uh, but they're designed to be listened to in any order, and you know uh, they hopefully can stand on their own, each by themselves. Um, each of the scripted stories has a little moment between two people, um, and the character, the actors are the same for those two people. They're obviously different people because it's over a hundred years, but um, uh, their story kind of evolves, even though they're different people. So mm. there's that thread to listen to. Um, and the story of um, rebellion in Ybor City and the story of the lectors and the um, cigar factories, those all kind of evolve a little bit through the story. So if you listen to them in order, you get a little bit more. Ah, that's okay. I did not listen to them in order, but I'm going to go back and do that tonight. And I just want to let you know, um, listeners, dear listeners, you don't have to actually go to Centennial Park to listen to all of this. There's a um, everything is is online, or most of it's online. Though um, going to Centennial Park is a really good idea because it's just so different. It's such a different experience. And you know, we're all not everybody, but some people might have relatives in town. People coming to town, you might have a little free time. You might need to get out of the house. And I can highly recommend <laughs> if you need to get out of the house. It's just really nice. Walk around Ebor, go get a Cuban, and yeah. you know, and you can listen to artwork when. Um, you know, sound design doesn't seem like it has the thing. There's a lot of different types of creative things where you can go back and then discover something that you didn't even realize was in there or was in something like writing. And I mean, all these does sound design have that, or is it so precise that if you discover something you didn't realize, that's not necessarily a good thing? No, I hope it is uh, very much re-listenable and, and something you can pull more out of every time. No, I mean for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. um, and it's it's it was. Thinking the other day, like our, our, um, we're so used to the sounds of the world that we're in right now that we don't notice them unless something changes. You know, there's a siren behind us, or there's construction down the street all of a sudden, or something. So the idea of the project was kind of to replace all those sounds that are around us now with the sounds of what was before, and hopefully, um, you know, every time you do that, you'll find something else. I think that's, I mean, that's lovely to think too, because uh, in a you know hundred years from now, the city of Tampa might be commissioning people to create the sounds from, you know, 2020s onward. What, what about the sounds for now? Like what, what part of, this goes through uh, the 1880s, mm-hmm. I keep on doing that. Um, was there something you wanted for now or was that sort of a specific thing that 
Those were the specific decades we chose, um, partly because we're already in the sound, the time from now. <laughs> um, and the history has not yet been written of now. So um, <laughs> This is that. true. And there was such a vast span. I mean, you're yeah. talking, uh, you know, 1890s up till the 1980s. That's a long time to cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the books I'm writing now seem to be in the 80s because I like that arm's length from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people are writing about now, but I think you could really comment on what's happening now a lot better and with that arm's length going back. You know, I've, I've been lucky enough to interview authors about some different things and something else that comes up is for a lot of authors is that the the technology has, the way technology has changed our lives is that there's sometimes it doesn't, it makes it harder for certain like plot points and <laughs> right. things to happen. Right. And Just call them for God's sakes. Well, right. that's what, I mean, part, yeah, I know. So part of it would be like, well, everyone has headphones on, so you may not hear what music that they're playing right. and stuff like that. I want to play another, this is one of my favorite pieces. I hope you don't mind me using your time to play, whoops, all right, wait, what is all right, shush up, World War II. Um, here we go. So this is, uh, here, wait, let me just play it. Come on. Looks like the only empty seat is next to you, eh? This streetcar is always crowded. My lucky day. We'll see. Those old ladies are more in style than me. Oh, I like your hat the best, but don't tell them that. I just love that cat's pajamas and stuff like that. So there you have you have the um, the streetcar coming up and stopping and then moving along. And then people talking, and then they're passing a horse at some point, but the horse <laughs> then recedes and stuff like that. So again, I'm just so fascinated by this, and I realize we're almost out of town. So is there, uh, like, what are your, to do this, what are the checkpoints where you know that you have, like, okay, I have that, that's right. Is it just all gut? I mean, how do you measure that? <laughs> I don't know. And if I did, I'd be a better sound designer. <laughs> I don't know. So when I want to talk a little bit about radio. You guys just had your wonderful Christmas oh, yeah. show, uh, radio show. And then radio theater usually goes, is it till March or April? Um, it's till May, actually. Till May. Yeah. So, uh, so when you guys are, you do all the sound design for that. So that's when some of it is Foley, yep. as he said, because, you know, if someone's knocking on the door or a car's coming, you have to make those noises. Mm-hmm. But then do you also do sound design with it? Uh, yep, yep, absolutely. So for those shows, it's a mix of um, recorded sound like the Ebor Speaks project and manual Foley effects. Mm-hmm. Um, is it fun doing Foley? Like oh, manual yeah, fo- yeah. Foley effects? Yeah. It always he loves it when somebody dies because he gets to throw that big bag down <laughs> on the ground, <laughs> the body hitting the ground, you know, the creaky door. Yeah. It's radio theater. We've had so much fun. I think it's like 10 years now or more. Yeah. We've it's, been, I think it's more than, Maybe yeah. more than that. I keep pretending it's less, but right. it's more. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's at the studio at 620, uh, monthly, and it's a great. Some of the most talented actors in town come together around that uh, because you rehearse on Sunday, you do it on Monday, and you're done. And, and so it's been really fun. And you have, I mean, you have writers, and you have. I have all the. I have the different stuff. I mean, 
you know, a lot of this was directed. I think you had it. Um, did Dr- Jim Rayfield? Jim Rayfield was just directing mm-hmm. was some of the last, and he was an actor. Some of this and yeah. acting. Uh, of course, you have. I mean, you just have all these people. People here in the room, plus Sheila, Robin O'Dell, James Rayfield. Um, you know, just I look at all the different. You've got the Spanish Lyric Theater involved. You have uh, people from the USF's uh, School of Theater involved. Uh, there's all Russian voices, Romanian voices. You know, I mean, there's just all of these different things. So, in a way, it's a Christmas present, a Hanukkah present, a beautiful present to the city of Ebor, uh, to the city, to the people of. Ebor and Tampa and the area to bring everyone to do this. Radio theater, I want to mention, is on the what Monday night of the third Monday? Is it the third Monday? I think it's the third Monday. I think it's the third Monday of of the month at We show up. That's all we do. They tell us we show up. But I was going to say, you have people that have written things specifically for radio theater. Matt and I wrote a serial for radio theater for about two years until we finally just couldn't write it any longer. But we have a lot of writers who contribute and uh, just a lot of talent that shows up for it. It's been amazing. And the audience consistently shows up. Is it uh, a difference like writing like that? You know, I would think, um, and and I was I was lucky enough to sort of uh, know Sheila when she first started writing and writing plays and and sort of getting into it. And radio theater was right at the beginning, and you guys were doing radio theater right at the beginning. So it was writing for radio. Is that and is that's pretty different? I would think than writing for other other media. So. Sound effects. You want to have that stuff. You try to write so you know Matt has something to do. A lot of writers. We will get a play every now and then, and they'll be, well, where are the sound effects in this one? Mm-hmm. Radio theater comes alive through that soundscape, and if you're just writing some dialogue and don't think about that, it's not, a, it's not a really good radio play. Mm-hmm. So they've really, we've kind of worked hard to find radio plays that, that have that let mm-hmm. Matt do his thing and let people's minds sort of soak up the... Because it does, it sort of takes it from being a staged reading right. to an actual right. an yeah. actual show. The great thing is that the audience builds the set and the whole world in their minds as you as you hear the sounds, and so that's uh, that's part of the fun of doing the sounds. Well, and Paul mentioned that you just get it. You know, it's just a couple day process. Is that true yeah. for the sound design too? Is it like here you go, come yeah. up with it, buddy? <laughs> I usually have about a weekend. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's pretty fast. That's pretty cool. So all right, so we're almost out of time. I do also want to mention a little book that our guest Paul wrote. Uh, got some sort of award. This Florida week? Hustle, the new novel. It just got named uh, one of the hundred best books of 2022 by Kirkus Reviews. That's a nice. And feeling. I want to ride that horse as long as possible. Right. We're excited about it, and it's doing really well. Getting ready to go around Florida and promote the book. Oh, good. All over Florida. Well, come back again. We'll talk about that. Thank but you. then also, you said that you were writing, working on something new. Um, yeah. and, and doing research for that. Do you, uh, do you plot out what you're going to do ahead of time? Like, do you know where you're going to go or does the research take you to places? How does that work for you? I was you? telling Matt, I'm total by the seat of my pants guy. And the book I'm writing now started off, was a side chapter in a book I thought I was writing. <laughs> and I don't want to, if I was a thriller writer or a detective writer, you probably have to figure out. But for me, I kind of find some characters I like I got an idea of what I like about them or where they might want, and then I just figure it out. I don't have, I kind of know where I'm going to end up, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. And that's the fun of writing. It's like solving a big puzzle that you just keep doing. And 
that's just how I do it. I don't recommend it for everybody, but it's a lot of fun to no, do it that way. I love that because I um, I love writing. I write every day or try to write every day. I don't write fiction because I love writing characters and I love writing dialogue, but I have no clue about plot. Like it's completely like plot is a mystery to me. Um, so uh, and I I know you weren't trying to encourage me, but that's encouraging to Go me. Go ahead. <laughs> And are you going to be doing any readings locally? Uh, we've done a bunch of them, mm-hmm. and there'll probably be some more coming up, okay. but I, not till the new year. I'm heading to Key West. I'm going to Miami. I'm, we did, I had some really good readings here in Tampa mm-hmm. Bay. We'll probably do some more, but I'm really heading off around the state, and that's going to be fun. I'm doing some podcasts and some other things. So Now, I have a, um, a question, which I did not even bother to look up, and I apologize for this. Does the Ebor Speaks, is, is that staying up for... As long as, like, um, you know, electricity is in Centennial Park or... I think it's public art. The great thing about public art, I was going to say, and this project, they stick around. And so you don't have to hurry to hear this whole thing. You can sample it. Uh, These public art projects are here. And I'll be interested. I don't think this is going away. Right. And, uh, And so people can just enjoy it at their own time. So yesterday when I was listening to it, um... I know that this guy was kind of like, what is this woman doing? Because I was like walking around and I would just stand there and just kind of listen. I'd walk somewhere and stand there and listen. And, and there, so there was an older man. He was super curious. And so he kind of like crossed over the street and sort of followed me. And then all of a sudden he heard it. And it was so much fun. He's like, oh. And, and he was, you know, Cuban or Cuban heritage. Oh, that's funny. oh yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like pointing at me. So, um, so yeah, so I got to witness someone's de- unplanned delight in it. And I hope nice. that... Um, dear listeners, you go, and I guess it's planned delight if you're going, but surprise somebody, and you can have some unplanned delight because that is something that we have a, an absence of in our lives these days and, and we need to do more of. Is there anything I... Um, oh, so the best website is uh, the Tampa Government Ebor Speaks. Is that the best way to find information about it? I think so. So this is up on our Facebook page, Art in Your Ear Facebook page, dear listeners, and we'll put up some more stuff and we'll put up links to Radio Theater and to uh, Paul's book and everything up on our page on WMNF.org on Art in Your Ear and, of course, on Facebook. So if you want more information, you can find it. It's fun. People are sending in their Ebor memories um, and... Uh, and saying all sorts of nice things about you guys. And so I agree with all of the nice things. Thank you both so much. Thanks for having us. For coming in. It was so good. Uh, we do. I am going to play a little bit of Christmas music for you. and um, But, of course, my favorite Christmas song is this one. So thank you all for being out there. We'll be back to let you know some other things going on in the Christmas, air, in the Christmas area, in the area here on 88.5 Art in Your Ear, WMNF. So this is Christmas.
Well, E-Love is in the studio getting ready to do a beautiful show for you of Global Electronica. It's going to sound great, I know. I want to say hi and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and Happy Holidays and good luck to Lou. Thank you so much, Lou and Ebor. Thank you also to uh, Fred in St. Pete, to Sasha. To everyone, to Mark writing in. I want to welcome to WMNF, welcome Sherry to WMNF. It's so good to have you here. I hope that everyone has a wonderful, wonderful holiday. I'm a very low-key Christmas person. I have a hat. Today's my first day of dressing up. But, um, but I know some people, it's a really big holiday. For me, not a big holiday, but love and peace. The whole idea is peace on earth, right? Is that what it's about? I do want to mention that next Friday, we're going to be talking to people from the Polk Museum of Art. They have an amazing show opening up, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and let's see. So coming up next, of course, is E-Love. After E-Love, this program is Live Music Showcase. I think they're probably going to be playing a, um, a pre-recorded show. And then we get into this great afternoon of music with Rhythm Revival, which is sort of a reach back into rock and roll's history and roots. And since it's the holidays, that'll be super fun. And then you know that Steve the Hitman is going to go crazy on <laughs> the Soul Party with classic R&B and soul, followed by what's sure to be a wonderful show tonight on the Soul Kitchen. Uh, that's got hip-hop, jazz, funk, R&B, rock, pop, every type of music genre. And then we end our night beautifully with Flashback Friday, which is Florida R&B and Soul. Thanks for being part of WMNF. Thank you for being part of this wonderful radio station. Talk to you next week. Try to stay out of trouble so you can listen next week. We're going to go out with Santa Baby from Wolf Alice here on WMNF 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa. Merry Christmas. For me, I've been an awful good girl, Santa baby. So hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa baby, a 54 convertible to light blue. I'll wait up for you, dear, Santa baby. So